writer of Hebrews says, the, the answer is Jesus Christ crucified. That's who you embrace. And he, he, he expounds, the writer of Hebrews expounds on that point in a number of ways. In the first chapter and the second chapter, the writer says Jesus is greater than the angels. So when you worship Jesus and you, you, you embrace Jesus and you hold on to Jesus, you are worshiping and embracing and holding on to someone that exceeds all angels and angelic authorities. Okay? The angels themselves are the ones who worship Jesus. So Jesus is greater than the angels, but not only that, Jesus is greater than Moses. And this is chapter 3 and half of chapter 4. Moses, if we can steal from Rembrandt's painting... Moses comes down with the, the tablets. And Moses was an incredible uh, uh, um, uh, uh, father to the Jewish race. He wasn't Abraham, but it was Moses that they worshipped and adored. It was Moses who gave them the law. Those are the tablets that, that uh, Rembrandt paints that Moses is holding up, the Ten Commandments. But not just the Ten Commandments, the first five books of the Bible, the Jews understood as the books of Moses, the law, the Torah. And so Moses was not only the lawgiver, and the law was the center of Judaism. Moses not only gave them this law, which was their core that they embraced and held on to, which was the genesis for all of their festivals and all of their celebrations and their worship and all that they did. Moses not only gave them that, but Moses was a deliverer as well. If you go back and you think about Moses, Moses is the one who brought the people from the pro to the promised land. He delivered them from the slavery and the bondage of Pharaoh. He took them through the Red Sea miraculously. He called down manna from heaven. He brought forth water from rocks to quench their thirst. He brought them to the deliverance from the serpents when the serpents were attacking. He brought them quail down as meat. It was Moses who was their deliverer. It was Moses who had given them the promised land. And though he didn't go into it himself, he told them how to take the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. And so Moses was the icon. He was the figurehead. He was the greatest individual absent maybe King David or maybe Father Abraham. But it was Moses who the people of Israel most understood and identified with, and certainly who they saw as the author of their worship and their law. But the writer of Hebrews makes a point with the Moses illustration, where he compares Jesus to Moses and says Jesus is greater. He says, even going into the promised land with Moses, the key to getting in there was your faith. Right? Think about it. The people, the Jews are going with Moses. They, they reach the promised land. Moses sends the spies in. The spies come out and all but two said, hey, we can't do this. And they're, they're giants over there. These are big people. We, 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 no. And they did not have enough trust in their God. To understand God did not redeem them from the most powerful king and the most powerful kingdom, Egypt, in the world at the time. 
just to have them be slaughtered at the hands of a few marauding tribes and cities in, in Israel and Palestine. Palestine, sorry. Palestine's in East Texas. Um, so, so, so Moses doesn't get to enter the promised land himself, but that generation of people wound up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their unfaithfulness. And only the faithful few got to go into the promised land and the offspring from the unfaithful. So the writer of Hebrews says, even Moses though, you're going to follow Moses right. The key to following Moses and to entering into that promised land was faith, right? Now, we talked about that last week. We talked about how Jesus was greater and Jesus takes us into his promised land. And Jesus does so by faith. But there was a little snippet that we kind of left out that this week has jumped out on the page at me. Uh, Becky and I and our kids were having dinner with mom Friday night, and mom gave me that interrogation stare. Does your mother have one of those? One of those where they can look at you, and you feel like you've done something wrong, and you're thinking, I haven't done anything wrong, but she's looking at me like I have, and she wanted to know why I looked like I did. Well, genetics was the obvious answer, but I didn't think it was going to get me anywhere. So uh, I said, can you be a little more specific? And she says, you don't look well. And I said, well, I'm tired. She said, why? I said, Mom, I'm getting like two or four hours sleep a night. You know, I'm working around the clock right now. I'm tired. And she said, is that all? And I said, I hope. And, and uh, she said, well, then you better go get some sleep. I'm, we're taking the kids to, I'm taking the kids tonight, and, and uh, you need to get some sleep. And so I've been working real hard, Mom, all weekend sleep. And she comes in this morning, walks down the aisle, look at my eyes. <laughs> um, and, and because of that event, I decided that I needed to go back and focus a little bit more on a passage I kind of left out when we talked about this last week. So we're going to look at it. Um, God did something profound God gave us the Sabbath, right? And the Sabbath is a day of rest. And, and, and the Sabbath day is one we know from the beginning of creation, when God created the world itself. What does it say? The passage of Scripture in Genesis says, On the seventh day God rested from all His work. And do you think God was really wiped out? No. God was not resting from his work because it had really been tough. I mean, you know, making the world, that was okay. That was just a day. But, you know, toward the end there, he had to not only make Adam, he had to make a woman. <laughs> you know, that had to be grueling. That's complicated stuff, as any guy can tell you. Um, um, so God, was he just wiped out? No. This is... Jehovah Creator God. Wasn't that, you know, there is a wonderful joke that I will not tell until after class for any guys that want to come right up over here. Um, God gave us the, uh, he knows the joke, and his wife just collared him by the ear and said, you're not allowed to tell it either. Uh, <laughs> um, um, it's okay. Okay, look, I'm probably gonna get in trouble for this, but I'm sorry. This is we're this is family time. Okay, 
so God um, sees this fellow and he says, uh, you're a, a good man. I wanna, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm gonna, you, you pick it. I'm going to do it for you. Guy said, really? God said, yes. Guy said, you know, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I'm scared to death of flying, and I don't do boats. I get motion sickness. Could you possibly build me a highway, say, from L.A. over to Hawaii so I could just drive to Hawaii and enjoy the islands you made? God looked at him and he said, do you have a clue what you're asking? Just to take the, the resources from the world to build a 1,500-mile highway with, with bridges and pylons that have to go down miles into the ocean floor would command almost all the resources of the world. It's, it's a huge project. That's an absolutely ridiculous thing to ask for. You need to come up with something a little bit more moderate. I said, I'm sorry, God. Then instead, perhaps, uh, oh, I know. Would you please explain to me the heart and the mind and the soul of a woman? There was silence for a minute. And God said, how many lanes would you like that highway to be? <laughs> so, uh, uh, <laughs> that's just, but that, that didn't really happen. That did not really happen. Yeah, so anyway, so... Um, God creates the world and He gives a day of rest. He doesn't do it for Him. He does it for us. On multiple levels. God does it for us on the basic level of teaching us that all work and no rest makes Jack or Jill one dull person and not a happy person and not a fruitful person. And we need rest and we need time where we say, where, and if we're not getting it, we need moms to look at us and say, go home and go to bed. I don't care how old you are. Because our bodies need it and our minds need it and our hearts need it. And it's okay to get it. And you don't have to feel guilty about it. Rest is appropriate, but it's not just physical rest. God gave it to us to teach us something deeper about life. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. Because the writer of Hebrews says the Sabbath is also the rest that we have in Jesus Christ. Now here we get to tie into the sermon this morning if you heard it. It's the rest we have in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ came... And He did all of the work that we need to do to please God and to earn our salvation. Are we saved by works? Only in that sense. We're saved by the works of Jesus Christ and not by our own. He did it. And the writer of Hebrews started out the book saying He is seated at the right hand of the Almighty. And the reason Jesus is seated and we see Him seated is because He's finished His work. He's finished day six. We are a new creation already. And now we, the writer of Hebrews says, enter into the rest of Jesus. What does he mean by that? He means we don't work anymore for our salvation. Our salvation work is finished. Okay? We have a four-minute song that I want to play for you. Um, uh, it's a song by Keith Green. And, and he encapsulates this idea really wonderfully in the song. I'll put the lyrics up. I would have loved to have had him come here to sing it, but uh, uh, he died. 
um, uh, very early, a long time ago, I had the pleasure of doing the legal work for his uh, Christian community and, and uh, his wife and uh, uh, a widow, um, Melody Green, wonderful guy who accomplished more in like 29 years than uh, I'll accomplish in a lifetime. But uh, uh, an incredible song. Is that thunder? I wish I could time the song because it'd work real good with parts of it. Let's, let's uh, just see how the timing works. Um, the name of this song is uh, uh, When I Hear the Praises Start. So can we cue it up, please?
it's an incredible song. And, and it, it's really written well for the passage in Hebrews because, hold on, we're going to get there. There we go. I mean, this, this, this could have been sent to those people. You know, hold on to what I gave you. You don't need to add anything to what's been done for you. I love you. I don't see a stain on you. All of the guilt that you feel because of your sin and your shortcomings. Don't get me wrong. The sin and the shortcomings is not something to be brushed aside. It's serious. We need to address sin in our life. and We need to live righteous and holy lives before God. But it doesn't stop our God from His love and His conviction and His work in you. And, and in fact, the fact that you're sensitive to the sin itself says His Holy Spirit's at work in you because that's what makes you sensitive to the sin. And so it's a wonderful thing. And He's saying, don't leave what you've embraced. Jesus may not have returned yet. You may not have had the answers you thought were from God yet. But God's not ignoring you. And God's not ignoring it. Next point. The writer of Hebrews says that Christ is a superior priesthood. Think back about your, your Old Testament now and your law and the Old Testament priest. Your high priest in the Old Testament would go to the Holy of Holies. And he was only allowed to go there once a year. That's the, the hidden part within the very heart of the temple where God himself symbolically dwelt. Okay? And the high priest alone got to go into that Holy of Holies. And the high priest alone got to do it, but only got to do it once a year. And before the high priest could go in there once a year and offer sins for the people, the high priest first had to offer sins for himself. Because he can't go in there without being purified. Only purity can be before God and in the presence of God. Now... That's the Jewish system that some Jews, Jewish Christians were thinking about returning to. But the writer of Hebrews says, consider instead Jesus and look at Jesus. Jesus doesn't go each year into the Holy of Holies. Do you know where Jesus has gone? Into the actual real throne room of the Almighty. Not the symbolic earthly one built by human hands but into the very presence of God Himself. Jesus has, has done this, and He doesn't have to do it every year. Jesus has done this once. And He's done it once for everybody. And when Jesus does it, He doesn't have to first purify Himself. Because Jesus is already pure. But not only is Jesus already pure, Jesus is also understanding still of our human frailties because He walked as we've walked. And so this is the high priest we've got in Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews says, in light of that kind of a priest, do any of you, would you rather be over there where you've got some human guy who's so mucked up himself with muck and mire and mud that he has to purify himself before he can even go into the Holy of Holies and then he's only allowed to go in there once a year and that's where he offers his sin offering for you. Would you rather have a high priest who's just doing that or would you rather have the, the, the Son of God before the throne of the actual God Himself having purified Himself, you and your sins? Which one will you hold on to? And so the, the, the writer says, please, 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 no U-turns. Don't go back. 
Don't go back. Now, it's here that there's a very difficult passage of Scripture. If I was going to take a poll, I'd have you hold up your hands. And I'd actually be very interested in this. Am I allowed to do this, Lewis? I am? Okay, how many of you believe in the doctrine? I mean, can I, like, ask them how many believe in a doctrine? Okay, I don't, I don't know the rules here. I just go to church here ultimately, regardless of what the Wall Street Journal says. Uh, <laughs> how many of you believe in the doctrine that once you are saved, you cannot lose your salvation? Okay, almost all. Not all, but about 75, 80% is my look at the hands. A very difficult passage of scripture on this is put in at this point in the book of Hebrews. So we should look at it. The writer says, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. It is impossible if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss, they are crucifying the son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. See, that's a, that's a tough passage, isn't it? Tough passage. So, um, there are three different views of that passage, and we should pause for a minute and look at it, and you should hear these views so that you've got a chance. Well, that's just kind of not very good, is it? Hold on. We have some technology issues here. Um, that's which screen? We were right here? Okay. We want to take that, and we want to make it fit. And now we want to go back to view it. How did we do? Oh, yeah, that's just real helpful. Okay, let's uh, scoot on down a little bit here. Hold on. I can do this. I am, aha, uh-huh. there. Now, That's pretty good. Okay, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who've shared in the Holy Spirit, who've tasted the goodness of the Word of God uh, uh, and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. All right? Three possible views on that that are, are most likely. One is that he's talking about people losing their salvation. And once you lose your salvation, you cannot get it back again. And so be careful. A second view is, is that maybe he's talking about people who never really had salvation to start with. He's talking about people who, when he says they've tasted the heavenly gift, it doesn't mean they devoured it. It means it just sort of flavored their tongue. They got close enough, close enough to appreciate it, but not really to get into it. Because if in fact they had, they would not have lost it. Um, um, okay, tough interpretation because it talks about people who've actually shared in the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so that's tough, but, but it's very plausible explanation. Um, there's a third one. And needless to say, it's mine. <laughs> um, I stick mine up there third. I don't think the writer of Hebrews is dealing with the doctrine of once saved, always saved like we do. I don't think that that's something that's even in his brain. And so I think when we go to this passage trying to, to put it into that straight jacket form, 
we've done a disservice because the first thing we have to do is try and understand why he wrote these words so we understand what he was talking about or she if it was uh, Aquila uh, or Priscilla and Aquila or some other woman involved. I don't mean to say that, you know, I don't know who wrote it. But but here's what he's talking about. And I can tell you what he means in context. He's saying, are you seriously considering about leaving Jesus and going back to Orthodox Judaism? That's a real stupid move. There's no future to Judaism. And don't think, oh, I'll just go back and if it turns out there's no future, I'll just come back to Jesus. Because that's not what you do. And Jesus isn't just there for you on the days you like Him. Oh, well, okay, I'll just come back and let Him get crucified again for me. Come on back down. I'm, I, I want to get back on that program. You can't do that. He says, you don't leave Jesus. It's a stupid move. And that's what He means in the context of it. He's telling them not to return to Judaism. Now, does that have implications for once saved, always saved? Sure, and we can talk about it. And maybe in that sense, the second option may be a valid option. Uh, uh, maybe the, the first. But, but what, that's not the thrust of the passage. And don't get so caught up in trying to dissect something for your theology that you lose track of what he's saying in the flow of the passage. Because what he's saying is, you Jewish Christians who are thinking about going back to Judaism, don't do it. It's a stupid move. There's no future there. You just need not only to have faith, but mix in a little bit of patience. Because God's promises, His return, that He takes care of you, that that the temple would be destroyed, all of His promises, they're not void. It's not that those promises are wrong. It's not that God missed the boat. It's a question of timing. It's a question of, of, has it happened yet? That's all it is. It is impossible for God to lie. So God's going to keep His word. You just need to have patience. If you feel like God has abandoned you in your life, I promise you that is not possible or true. If you feel like God is not there for you in whatever struggle you're having right now, I promise you that is not true. If you don't see the deliverance and release that you are promised as a child of God, it's not because God promised it, but had his fingers crossed when he was thinking of you and your current crisis. It is not possible for that to happen. It's a question of timing. And so along with your trust in God, mix in a little patience. Just be still and wait and watch the coming of the Lord. Because he comes. And I say be still. Sometimes he's telling you not to be still. He's telling you to get in gear. And that may be part of the message. But you try to focus on him and you try to hear him. Because God's promises are not void. It's impossible for him to lie. So, Jesus is a better high priest. We've got a better priesthood through Jesus Christ. Chapter 8. We also have a superior covenant to what the Jews had. Don't go back. All right. Here's a picture. What's it from? Huh? Peter Pan. What's he holding up? Or she? Or well, is Peter Pan's a he, but it's always played by she. The shadow. That's who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men, if you're old enough. Okay. Just kind of a way to check the age in our class. If you're not old enough, there's an old radio show. Started out. 
Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Remember? Okay. Um, that's what the writer of Hebrews says is going on here. He says that's what applies to the temple. You want to go back to the temple? He says the temple's just a copy. It's just a shadow of what's in heaven. That's why Moses had to build the tabernacle just right. And God said, don't miss any details and you do it exactly this way because it's a symbol or a shadow of something that had, has real truth in heaven. The same is true for the covenant. The same is true for the covenant that the Jews were living under. That covenant in itself is just a copy and a shadow of the real covenant that was to come. A covenant is a relationship or an agreement between parties. Almost like a lawyer's contract, not quite, but very similar. It's an agreement between parties. And and the writer says, there was this old covenant that you're thinking about returning to, but don't because the new covenant is so much better. The old covenant is written on a tablet with those laws that Moses got. The old covenant, it was basically a national religion. It took care of the nation of Israel. The old covenant, God had selective intimacy. He would pick certain people like King David that would have his spirit. He would pick certain people like Elijah that he had intimacy with. And, and, and under the old covenant, there was a real accounting system for your sin. And you kept track of your sin. And if you sinned this way, here's what you had to do to pay for it. And if you sinned that way, here's what you had to do. It was not just in culture an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but almost symbolically with God. You do that, that's a three-dove sin. You do that, that's a goat. You know? And, 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 and uh, that's a fine. No, that's a sin of some oil and, and bread. And, and there was an accounting system for the sin under the Old Covenant. And it was a regular accounting too. It wasn't like, you know, uh, uh, I was reading um, somebody who's uh, Catholic. And he was talking about how his, his, he's sort of moving back into faith after not being in faith for quite a while. And he went to confession. And he said to the priest, he says, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. It's been 17 years since my last confession. And the priest interrupted him and said, Time out. You don't have to tell me how long we quit doing that 12 years ago. Think about it. I mean, this is really how. You know, he was so out of touch, he didn't even know that he had to do that anymore. Because for the Jews, there was a regular sin accounting. And you regularly had to show up. And you regularly had to do it. But this was a covenant between God and them that was only for a certain time period. And the promise of God was that there was going to be a new covenant. And this is prophesied in Jeremiah. And and in fact, it's the Jeremiah passage that the writer of Hebrews is quoting. The new covenant's not going to be written on tablets It's going to be written on men's minds and men's hearts. It's written on our hearts and our minds. That's why you don't always have to have someone tell you, hey, you're doing something wrong. If you're in Christ and you've got the Holy Spirit, you know you are. You got that conviction. You know when you're out of line and you know what's going on. It's not only written on your hearts and your minds, but the new covenant is not a national religion. The new one isn't a religion at all. It's a relationship. And that means it's not a selective intimacy. That means it's personal intimacy. Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit with each one of you. Each one of you. 
He dwells inside you. And He has chosen you to be intimate with. He wants to know you. He knows you. But He wants you to know Him. And it's intimacy. It's not no longer a sin accounting. I did a three-dove sin yesterday. I'm in trouble. It's now a forgiveness. And it's not, not a regular forgiveness where you have to come in. It's not when you go to sleep at night. Uh, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. God, forgive me of my sins today. So if I die tonight in my sleep, I've asked for forgiveness and I'm clean. It's not that at all. Because the forgiveness we have is a full forgiveness, period. When Peter preached a Pentecost sermon in Acts 2, he tells them to repent. He tells them to be baptized. And, and it's not for a, a, a forgiveness of past sins. He says for the forgiveness of your sins, period. Past, present, future. It's a full forgiveness. And this is an everlasting covenant. It's not a covenant that's going to end. So that's what we have. And he goes to Jeremiah and he says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. See where he says it? That's what the promise was. He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. It's not just we're part of the Jewish nation. We're actually the people of God. It's a personal relationship. He is, I'll tell you something. The Lord God, creator of the world, is my personal God. And there is no other. And I am His. And that is true of every believer now. No longer, somewhere it's here, there. No longer will a man teach his neighbor. Or a man, his brother, saying, know the Lord. Because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. He's talking there about the intimacy. The word know in the Greek is also the word for, for great personal intimacy. Uh, that's why, and, and the same is true in the Hebrew, the same with the Hebrew word. That's why it, like, it'll read in the Bible, for Adam knew his wife and Eve and she conceived and bore a child. The word know is, a, is an intimacy word. And so uh, uh, no longer will a man teach his neighbor. I don't need... Uh, and, and that's not to say we don't have teachers and all, but, but there are not people who have an intimacy level with Christ that is denied to me. I and you and all of us have the same opportunity to have the same intimacy with God. And he says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. No more. No more. It is everlasting. It is full that's the forgiveness in Christ. So then, you ask this question of those Jews. We're not through with the book, but it's still a good time to ask it. What are you going to choose? You want to go back? Or you want to hold on to this? To me, that's a no-brainer. Okay. Points for home. Our salvation work is over. Christ on the cross, His last words in Greek, tetelestai means it is finished. The work was done. You want to hear about the day I got saved? I'll tell you about a day 30 years A.D. 33 years after the birth of my, my, my Savior on a, on a hill called Golgotha where He hung for my sins. That's the day I, of my salvation. 
and it's a wonderful day. The work is over. We can enter Christ's rest. We're not striving anymore to please God. We're not striving anymore for our salvation. We're not striving anymore to keep our lives together. We're resting in the power of the Almighty. And our job, as I told that reporter, my job is not increased by the pressure of who's watching. My job is to do the best I can before my Lord. And that's all that matters. And it's not so that I can get to heaven. It's because I'm going there. And He's my God. And why would I want to do anything less? Jesus is our answer. There is no other answer. He's not only our answer to salvation, He's our answer to all of life now and forever. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we hear the thunder roar, we know the rain comes down, and we hear the storms that are out on sea coming inland, we stand fast in the knowledge that this entire world and all that is in it is below your foot, is under your power, is under your authority, is under your control. And Lord, we claim right now as your people, we claim all of the rest that you have for us. Not, Lord, because we don't want to give our best for you. We do. But because we give our best in your care and with your provision and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we are your vessels. Would you work through us to bring about your purposes on this earth and bring us into heaven, Lord, where we can serve you eternally? Thank you for the forgiveness we have in Jesus and the focus we get from that forgiveness. Through him, we all say, Amen. child, why are you weeping? You will not have to wait forever. 